Think about writing as um, sort of like a long cooking, simmering stew. You just don't know what's going to eventually bubble up out of that stew. Don't throw away ideas. Welcome to a special edition of All About Jack, a podcast feature of EssentialCSLewis.com. I'm William O'Flaherty, author of C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell, a companion and study guide to the screw tape letters. What I have for you today is a two-person panel discussion that I moderated back at the end of March 2017. My guests were Dr. Hal Poe and Dr. Don King. The conversation I had with them was part of the Creative Writing Festival for high school students that took place at Montreat College. That event was held before the Inklings Fellowship Weekend Retreat that began that Friday evening on March 31st. The focus, as you might guess, was on writing, of course, but more specifically it was about C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien as writers and what we can learn from them. The beginning part of the original session contained mostly introductory information about Lewis and Tolkien, Because the majority of you who listen to All About Jack are familiar with these basics, I'm skipping it initially and sharing the main discussion with Dr. Don King and Dr. Hal Poe, where we explore what drove these famous authors to write and what one can learn from their unique strengths to become better writers, among other related topics. However, because there could be some less familiar with either Lewis or Tolkien, I am putting those beginning remarks just after this main content, as there were also some details not as commonly known, and there were some tie-ins to their writing. Finally then, the end of the session will be, well, at the end. Why did each of these writers write? In other words, what drove them to write? And we'll start off with you, Don. Um, A lot of writers say that they write because they have to write. Maybe some of you feel that way. Um, I've never quite been satisfied with that as an answer for why people write. I think in the case of Lewis, he wrote because writing for him was like, um, if, if you have a passion, like if you have a sport that you're passionate about, soccer, or if you like uh, to knit, or if you like to play golf, or anything that you have a passion for, uh, people don't have to make you do it. You do it because you love to do it. And I think that's the case uh, of C.S. Lewis. Uh, he loved to write. Um, I think he was also uh, born to write. Maybe, maybe other people are born to write, but Lewis uh, loved to write. He once said that um, he had an addiction to ink, and he, he wrote with the old nib pen that you would dip into the, uh, the little cup that would have ink in it, and he would write with that nib pen. So I think Lewis, um, he, he loved to write, and um, it, it just was a, a full expression of his, his uh, personality. Another reason that he wrote was, he says in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, is that he was physically clumsy. Um, he and his brother, Warren, had a physical defect. They could not take their thumb and, and bend it like that. So their thumb was not very flexible. Um, it's kind of hard to play sports, especially if you're trying to handle a ball and you can't move your thumb. So Lewis said because of that handicap, he was driven to write stories. He tried to, um, he initially tried to um, make castles and so forth using paper and scissors, but he even couldn't use the scissors very effectively. So he said instead of sort of constructing stories, if you will, he wrote stories. And he said he didn't realize um, what 
uh, a wealth of delight that that handicapped, if you will, uh, gave him in terms of forcing him to become a writer. Tolkien was uh, a bit different in, in some respects. He liked stories, but the stories he liked tended to be the old oral uh, sagas of the uh, Norse people that were eventually written down, but he liked, the, he liked language generally. In fact, that was his real study as a scholar, not the stories themselves, but the development of the language and how language changed. And he made up um, his own languages, but once he'd made up the languages, he needed to have a place for the languages to happen. And so his storytelling provided a context for elvish and dwarfish and orc and all of these different languages to take place. And the stories um, sort of gave, gave life to the languages. And uh, he really wasn't interested in publishing his stories. He did them for his own amusement. He had his own little world, and it was very private, you know, for fear people might think he was crazy. And um, only a few people knew about it. Lewis was one of the few who knew that he had constructed this entire world for his own interest and in, in a way of solving some problems of how language works that was applied to his uh, teaching of how the English language changed from uh, Old English to Middle English. And modern English really didn't interest him. He didn't like modern literature after Chaucer. So he, <laughs> he just liked the real literature. And so uh, he was animated by, by different uh, interests, and, and publishing was not part of it. There's a saying in the United States, in the academic world, you publish or perish. And the way to get promoted, uh, really, from assistant professor to associate professor to full professor, is to publish articles and books. And Tolkien did not have to do that because he already had his professorship. He could have just coasted through life as many Oxford professors did at that time. And so it was pretty much a private exercise for him. And Lewis was the one who um, persuaded him to publish The Hobbit. And The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings were just little side features of his big work which was the Silmarillion. And this is the entire history of Middle-earth from its creation. And uh, he never finished it. And uh, his son was the one who finally edited the, the edition that has been published. But uh, it, was, it was largely just the love of language and um, it, how language expresses itself. Next, we want to consider the strengths of each writer. That is, what does each do really well in their writing? We'll uh, go to Don here first. Uh, one of the things you noted in your last response, I'm not sure if you were going to wait and follow up here, but you, you were noting that Lewis dipped his, you know, he, he literally dipped a pen in ink and wrote. And there's something that may be obvious. That doesn't allow you to write very much before you have to pause and think. And is that one of the strengths of Lewis as a writer? Well, yeah, I think that that's, we could almost call it sort of a, uh, the mechanical process that he went through. That, that moment where you would have to dip back into the, 
to the inkwell um, maybe gave him just that you know split second in his imagination to go forward. So I think that really is a, an interesting thing to think about. If you if you look at his manuscripts, and if you um, some of you I, I believe will go on to become scholars, you'll go to the Bodleian Library in Oxford, which is one of the oldest libraries in the world, and you can examine Lewis's original manuscripts there. And you can see where the pen begins to uh, get fainter, and then it would get darker when he would dip it in. And I think that little split second um, perhaps um, was a way in which Lewis could uh, think ahead. I think Lewis's strengths as a writer are many. Um, perhaps one of the most obvious are the, the many different genres that he wrote in. Again, if you look at that handout I gave you, I mean, look at the various kinds of things Lewis wrote. He wrote poetry. He wrote essays, he wrote literary criticism, he wrote Christian apologetics, he wrote science fiction, he wrote fantasy literature, he wrote realistic novels, he was also, as you know, a lecturer, Um, he was uh, uh, good as a debater, and um, probably, according to his literary executor, Walter Hooper, Lewis probably wrote between 10 and 14,000 letters in his life, and letter writing, as many of us know, is sort of a a lost art where we do email and texts now. By the way, this is a footnote. Those of you that will become biographers and you want to write about, say, a famous person that is living right now, maybe in 10 years you want to write that biography, um, I think you may be at an incredible disadvantage because there won't be any hard copies of those texts and those emails around unless the person you're writing about was so vain as to make a copy every time he or she uh, sent off an email. So letters are incredibly, uh, I think letters are incredibly valuable um, in terms of finding out something about uh, a writer's life. And most of Lewis's letters, not all of them, and I think most of Tolkien's letters have been published. So if you really want to get to know about the life of Lewis or Tolkien, read their letters, just incredible uh, insights. Lewis was also, as a writer, he was very lucid. Uh, He was very clear um, he used language effectively. Um, just uh, another sort of an example of, uh, of the kind of preparation that he would uh, go, uh, go through in, in order to write something. Um, look at that handout, uh, the book um, that he wrote as a part of the Oxford History of English Language series, 16th century um, literature excluding drama. Lewis spent 10 years preparing to write that book. Um, He read everything written in England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales in the 16th century in the original language. Uh, It uh, it became something of a burden for him. As I said there, you can see Oxford, it was written as a part of the Oxford history of the English language. So he would refer to the book when he was writing to his friends or speaking with his friends as the O Hell book because it was so so all-consuming. So I'll pass the... Uh, they, they're they almost opposites in terms of how they write. Um, and oddly enough, you can see it on how they took hikes. They liked to, to walk. They would have loved living here, all the different places you can hike. But, but when Lewis went walking, he would charge forth at a rapid pace, and he loved the grand vistas, the huge landscapes. Tolkien, on the other hand, would dawdle along the way and look at all the little plants and the little rocks and the little twigs and the spider webs and 
all the details. And it was maddening to Lewis who wanted to get on with the walk. Whereas Tolkien was just driving him crazy by looking at all the details. Now compare The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with uh, The Fellowship of the Ring. And there's a difference in their approach to writing fiction. The, the Chronicles of Narnia were quickly written. Each volume was written in, in just a few, uh, in some cases, weeks, uh, but uh, none of them more than a, a few months. Whereas The Lord of the Rings took about, what, 12 years to write and stopping and starting and, and redoing it. At one point, Tolkien stopped. He was, what, two-thirds of the way through the, the, the Lord of the Rings, and he stopped and put it on the shelf because the moon was out of sequence. And so he had to go back and rewrite the whole thing to get the phase of the moon right for the action of the story. So he was, he, he was uh, paying enormous attention to detail, and he didn't like the Chronicles of Narnia. Tolkien despised the Chronicles of Narnia because Lewis had Father Christmas and fauns and all sorts of mythological beings from a variety of different cultures all in one story. And he said, you can't do that. And Lewis laughed and said, of course, I've already done it. <laughs> so, so they had different attitudes about writing, different styles of writing. And then it flips when, it, when we go to their scholarship. Tolkien did not do very much as a scholar. He would do a little preface. He would do a little appendix, um, a little vocabulary, a few short articles. But he, he really contributed very little scholarship. Lewis, on the other hand, wrote these massive works that are still in print. His Allegory of Love, which is a study of medieval, allegorical, courtly love poetry from the 11th century uh, up until, well, the time of Shakespeare, Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. Um, took him 10 years to write. And it isn't just everything that was written in the 16th century. He had to read everything that had been written from the time of, of, of Virgil forward to describe how culture changed. So, so in his scholarship, Lewis was, was highly detailed in, and thorough in his work. But um, his radio broadcasts, he didn't think he was writing for... The future. It was just a little quick 15-minute um, segment on the BBC, and it wouldn't be heard again, but it was published, and it wound up being mere Christianity, still in print. And so different styles, not just different genre, different styles of writing. And as you think about your own writing, there is popular writing, there's professional writing, there's scholarly writing. And then you divide it up into subject matter, genre, and age group. What is, or the, what is the audience like that you're writing for? And as you write, you want to have in mind your audience. And Lewis was very good at gauging different books and articles to an audience. Tolkien wrote for himself. And The Lord of the Rings is monumental.
you know, it's for the ages. One quick uh, fact check. Uh, Lewis did have trouble with one of the Narnia stories, and uh, Don King can correct me if I'm wrong, but the magician's nephew, I believe, took about four years. He started that, had to put it aside, but generally he did uh, do it in pretty quick order, especially compared to uh, Tolkien. If you consider uh, the four-year time period for the magician's nephew as the hardest one he had, that would have been a quick book for Tolkien <laughs> to have only four years. And, and I'll just kind of piggyback on that. I know many of you are probably interested in the, the Narnia stories. Um, Lewis said that he had the idea for the, um, the first idea for the Narnia stories was a mental image that he had when he was about 16 years old. And it was a, a, a picture of a fawn in a snowy wood carrying packages. And many of you will know that's a very important image at the beginning of uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But then he said it wasn't until the 1940s that he decided to write a story about it. And then it wasn't until the 1950s that he actually wrote the stories. So those of you that have ideas, I know you're you're young, but maybe you're writing down various ideas. Don't throw those ideas away. You, You never know when that idea may come to fruition. Think about writing as um, sort of like a long cooking, simmering stew. Um, You you just don't know what's going to eventually bubble up out of that that stew. Don't throw away um, ideas. Also, when you're invited, and I hope many of you will be and perhaps are being, when you're invited to write different kinds of things for different audiences, different publications, don't ever turn down an opportunity when somebody asks you to write something that's going to be published, no matter how seemingly insignificant it might be. Let me follow up on your follow-up of me following up on William's follow-up of me. Um, The business of capturing ideas, and you have ideas all the time, and you think, oh, I'm going to do something with that. The problem is you forget the idea. You may remember that you had an idea, but you can't quite remember what the idea was. That's just getting Raise old. That's just getting old, pal. <laughs> yeah, but now they've gotten old. They're not 10 anymore. And, you know, you're on the, on the downhill slide now. Um, but Lewis had a photographic memory. Some people do. I don't. Um, Tolkien did not. And there's, there's an interesting story Tolkien told about how he happened to write The Hobbit. Because, as I said, the, the whole idea of hobbits and, and um, the, the Lord of the Ring, that's just barely a footnote in his total Silmarillion, History of Middle-earth. It's a side story. And um, hobbits weren't a big part of, of the Silmarillion. They just were a, a, a passing phase. Uh, Remember I told you he had a professorship, so he didn't have to do all the drudgery work that Lewis did, but he needed money. He always needed money. He had children. um, He had expenses. And you could make extra money by grading examination papers. And he was grading an examination paper that came in a little, little booklet, a blue book, and he came to a blank page. And... This idea came through his mind. He wrote it down. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And that's all there was. And, but he had that idea captured. And um, if you're serious about writing, somewhere about your person, have a piece of paper, uh, a little pad, 
anything that you can capture ideas because you never know when they're coming. Ideas come to me in the middle of a sermon. Lewis told his brother Warney one Sunday morning, a particularly dull day, a dull sermon, I should say, he had this idea of um, a junior devil trying to get advice from a senior devil. And um, he captured that idea. I don't think he wrote it down, but he did write to his brother that he'd had that idea. This became the screw tape letters. And, and that's Lewis's mind. Most of the rest of us need to write it down. I've published 16 books. Every one of them is a collection of little slips of paper, backs of envelopes, sermon bulletins, uh, cash register receipts, in which when the idea came, I wrote it down. And if you'll do that, you will never suffer writer's block. Because you don't think of what to write when you're sitting in front of the keyboard. What you write about comes to you at other times. But if you've got that little piece of paper at the keyboard, the whole idea will come rushing back to you. You just need one little phrase or sentence to, to capture the whole idea. So in terms of the most helpful writing advice I can give to you from my own experience is write it down. Now, with the modern technology, of course, with a, uh, anyone have a smartphone? One or two of you, maybe? Okay. You can also record, or if you have a smart watch, you can do that as well. You can or, take a, or, a, or a nail and scratch it onto the screen of that, <laughs> and you, you'll have it, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of advice, and uh, um, we're, we're very much aware that we're not going to go through all the questions here, so we'll kind of see how we go here. But I think the next one we had planned dovetails quite nicely, and that is advice that Lewis and Tolkien gave about writing. Uh, Lewis has uh, qu- quite a bit uh, we, that, that you can find in the letters, but we'll have Don summarize some of that, and then I think how we'll come up with something that maybe Tolkien said here or there. I refer you to a, a wonderful little book called Letters to Children. Um, after the Chronicles of Narnia were written, <clears throat> excuse me, Lewis began to receive letters from children. And then even after he died, he continued to get letters from children who asked him questions about the Narnia stories. Who was this character supposed to represent? What were you trying to do in this part of the story? And so forth. And some of the best advice that Lewis gives about writing is to those children um, as he responded to them. Among the things that he uh, told the children was to try to write sentences that mean exactly what you want the audience to understand. Um, now, I've been teaching writing at Montreat College for over 40 years. If I could have a nickel for every time I wrote on a student's paper, write clearer, more concise sentences, I'd be a very rich person. So that'd be my first thing. Really try to write clear, concise, lucid uh, sentences. Lewis also suggested to the children who wrote to them, don't use really big words when a smaller word will do. Don't say infinitely if what you really mean is very. He also said don't overuse adjectives. He says don't tell your audience that something is terrible. Make your audience feel to itself terrified. He said when you use adjectives, you're really asking the audience to do the work for you as a writer. So those are just a few of the things. Tolkien did not have 
the big audience that Lewis had um, that occasioned all of those letters Lewis had to write. You know, he was a celebrity from uh, during World War II. He was on the radio and his popular books, The Screwtape Letters and The Great Divorce, were being devoured, and they prompted lots of letters. Tolkien didn't have to do with that. He did not have fans until after 1954 when The Fellowship of the Ring was written, and then he became a celebrity. So we don't have that that body of advice, but what you have is behavior, and the behavior of of Tolkien, I think, gives good advice for writing. Um, Whereas Lewis only had one friend when he was a child, his brother, only one friend when he was a teenager, Arthur Greaves, um, and really didn't have any friends until after he graduated from college. Tolkien had already begun to practice friendship in literary friendship in high school, this group that got together and told stories. And Tolkien was the one who pulled people together to read the Icelandic tales. And Tolkien was the one who wanted to get together with Lewis every Monday morning to talk about what they were working on. And then it was Tolkien who helped Lewis really formed this group called the Inklings, that group of literary people who met once a week for several decades, and they would critique one another's work. So, so Tolkien is the one who practiced the, the behavior of seeking out good criticism, not people who tear you down, but people who can give you good advice. So the idea of seeking... seeking um, a reasonable response to the writing you're doing, a second set of eyes to look at what you're, you're working on, and cultivate um, a tough enough skin to be able to accept and receive constructive criticism. That's a difficult, difficult thing to do. Yeah, I, I think uh, another way we could look at the two writers is that both of them practiced something that I think is very important, particularly if you're writing fiction, show rather than tell. Don't tell your audience what you want them to understand. Create the story in such a way as that you're showing them what it is you want them to feel. And there ends the main part of the discussion specific to Lewis and Tolkien and what we might learn from them as writers. As noted at the start, there was actually a general introduction to Lewis and Tolkien at the beginning of that live presentation, I include it now because while it covers familiar ground for most of you, there were some specific comments about writing made during it that could be of interest to you. One thing to note as well is that at the beginning, Dr. King does mention a handout he passed out. I have a link in my show notes to an online resource that you can reference, but you can easily follow along without either. I think you may have a handout that gives you a listing of uh, Lewis's writings in chronological order. I won't spend any time going through that, but uh, I hope you'll take a look at that. We might refer to it at some point. Just a quick overview of uh, Lewis's life. Uh, He was born Clive Staples Lewis in uh, November of 1898 in Belfast, so he was an Irishman. Uh, He was born into a loving family. He had a brother three years older, Warren, his father, Albert was a court solicitor, a lawyer. 
Uh, his mother, Flora, was a, a brilliant woman, one of the first women to graduate from Queen's University. Lewis had, as I said, something of an idyllic life, at least early on. His childhood was, was quite, um, quite blessed. But uh, tragically, his mother died when he was 10 years old. And that kind of started him on a spiral of a loss of faith. By the, he went off to a series of boarding schools in England, and for him, they were quite miserable. Eventually, um, he was relieved from that, and he, he uh, studied under a tutor who had a great influence on his life. Lewis served in um, World War I on the, in the trenches in France. He was wounded, could have easily been killed. Uh, by the way, I, Hal may refer to this, uh, Tolkien also fought during World War I. Lewis returned to uh, his studies after the war in Oxford. Uh, eventually, he earned uh, three degrees at Oxford, graduating at the highest possible level with those three degrees. So he was quite, quite brilliant. He uh, began teaching at one of the Oxford colleges, Maudlin College, in 1925. And um, through that time, say from the time he... Uh, Right before he went off to World War I, through about the end of the 1920s, Lewis would have referred to himself as a blaspheming atheist. But something happened towards the end of the 20s, including an important um, friendship with Tolkien that Hal will talk about, that caused Lewis to undergo a Christian conversion. Up until that point, and you can uh, look at this in your handout, up until that point, Lewis had tried to be a poet. His first two volumes of published work were volumes of poetry. I bet many of you have never even read a poem by C.S. Lewis. But that's what he wanted to be. He realized, however, that he would never be a great poet. He continued to write poetry throughout his life. But about the time he died to the idol of being a great poet, that's about the time he underwent a Christian conversion. And it was from that point onward, again, from about early 1930s onward, that I think Lewis's pen was sort of released and the ink uh, flowed incredibly. L look especially at the 1940s. Look at how many books Lewis wrote during the 1940s. It's amazing. And he was a, a lecturer there at Oxford, so writing was sort of something that he did on the side. Um, he remained at Oxford until the mid-50s, um, Unbelievably, Oxford never made C.S. Lewis a full professor. And in the mid-1950s, through the influence in part of Tolkien, Cambridge University basically stole Lewis away from Oxford because they created a special professorship for Lewis. The, uh, he had the chair of um, medieval and Renaissance literature. So he left Oxford, he went to Cambridge, and he spent the last eight or nine years of his life um, at Cambridge. He also had an incredible relationship with uh, a woman, Joy Davidman. There's been several films made of that. I could spend all of our time to talk today talking about that relationship. But I'll stop and just note that Lewis died the same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Hal, I'll turn it over to you. Well, it's interesting that uh, two of the most famous English writers of the 20th century were not English. As Don said, uh, Lewis was Irish, um, came from Ireland, and Tolkien was South African. At least that's where he was born. He um, experienced some of the same tragedy that Lewis experienced in his childhood. Both of his parents uh, died while he was a boy. Uh, his guardian was an, uh, a Roman Catholic priest 
Um, Tolkien never wandered away from the faith the way Lewis did. Uh, if anything, he grew stronger in it. An important part of his life was, um, in his development, was uh, his, what we would call his high school years in Birmingham at King Edward's School. There he had uh, a little group of, of four friends uh, who um, formed a bit of a club. It was a literary group. They liked to read. They liked to write. They liked to talk about what they were interested in. And um, this was when he developed his interest in writing. So um, you are at exactly the right age to be um, thinking seriously about your writing and practicing it. You just practice and, and, and think of every writing project is practice for honing your skill uh, as a writer. Um, he went off to uh, Oxford University. Um, he had a scholarship there. So, um, though he did not have the means himself, he at least had the ability to get his education. And he completed his college degree right on the verge of the beginning of the Great War. The Great War, the war to win all wars, after which there would never be any more wars, World War I, a devastating, devastating um, war. Twenty million people were killed in the war, uh, and it had a, a, a huge scar on uh, Europeans that never really went away. It was, it was the prelude to the Second World War. So he had that background of having seen violence. And um, so when he writes of battles in The Lord of the Rings and The Silmarillion and The Hobbit, uh, he knows what a battle is. He spent time in hospital uh, towards the end of the war. And while he was in the hospital, he began writing uh, what became his stories of Middle Earth. First, he had to create Middle Earth, and he was beginning to get this idea in his mind. Now, the idea of Middle Earth comes from um, his uh, earlier interest in, in Norse mythology. And um, in Norse mythology, there's Asgard, which is the heavenly realm, uh, Nibelheim, which is uh, the underworld, and Midgard, Middle Earth, which is between the two. And we live in Middle Earth. So he, he borrowed that from the old, uh, old mythologies. Um, at the end of the war, um, he was doing this, that, and the other to um, keep body and soul together. He had a girlfriend from his um, childhood, and they married after the war. He had his credentials. He was going to be a, uh, a teacher at college, didn't get to go to Oxford as a teacher immediately. He worked on the Oxford English Dictionary. Um, he, he had a brief appointment at another school, but then he was brought back to Oxford as a professor. Now, Don mentioned that um, Lewis was never a professor at Oxford. Now, at Montreat College, everybody who teaches is a professor of some sort. And it's the difference between the American system and the... the um, British system. In, in the United States, when you're hired to teach, you're an assistant professor. And after a few years, if you don't spill hot coffee on the dean, you get to be an associate professor. 
And if you just hang around long enough um, and, and don't upset the trustees, you're promoted to full professor. But the title professor is um, rarely used in a British school. There are very few professors. And a, a person who is a professor normally um, has an appointment that has been endowed. That is, someone gave a large gift of money, and the salary is pl- paid out of the proceeds of that gift of money. We've got a few of those in the United States. I have the Charles Colson Chair of Faith and Culture. So a, a, a gift in honor of, of Chuck Colson and um, Prison Fellowship pays my salary. Now, if you are a professor in Britain, you don't have to work as hard. Um, Lewis was not a professor. He was a fellow. And um, essentially, he was an assistant professor his whole time at Oxford. That meant he had to teach more. And teaching in Oxford involved meeting with a student one hour a week. And during that hour, the student would read a term paper that they had written. And in Oxford, you don't go to classes for your education. You meet with your professor. And the term lasts eight weeks, and during those eight weeks, you write eight term papers. And so Lewis is going to sit in his chair like I am now and listen for an hour while a student reads a paper, and he'll do that all day long, five days a week interacting with the student, saying, why on earth did you say that? Have you read this? And critiquing. Well, Tolkien didn't have to do all of that because he was a professor. So he had more free time to write. And that had a huge difference in what he was able to do. Well, he had that professorship from about 1925 until 1945, And then he got a new professorship, a more prestigious professorship, a professorship that had a little more money that was attached to it, the Merton Professor of English Literature. He held that um, then for another decade or so, well, about 15 years, I guess. And again, that allowed him the leisure and the free time uh, to write. His wife died before he did, and uh, in retirement, they had moved to Bournemouth, which is a seaside resort. But when she died, he moved back to Oxford and moved back to the, um, the college he'd been a part of, Merton College. And um, that's where he ended his days in 1973. I should say, just we know him for The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, The Hobbit was published in the mid-30s. The Lord of the Rings was published in the mid-50s. And um, it took that long to get the new book, they called it The New Hobbit while he was writing it, to, to write the thing and to finally get it published. And those were two different ordeals, but both of them were ordeals that you need to be aware of as a writer. Writing is one task you need to master. Getting published is another task you need to uh, master. And that's the business side of writing. And maybe we'll 
hint at that. Let me, let me follow up, Hal. Um, can you share with um, the audience the relationship that uh, Lewis and Tolkien had with regard to the publication of The Hobbit in particular and The Roar of the Rings as well? Tolkien was instrumental in Lewis's conversion to Christianity. They had gotten to be friends through their common interest in uh, Norse mythology. And Tolkien thought, oh, what can I do that'll be lots of fun? I know, I'll invite people around and we'll read Old Icelandic together until they learn how to read it. And so they were doing that for... Uh, for evenings, but then that little group shifted its emphasis and a few others joined them, and what they were doing was meeting once a week to read one another's work, what they were, what they were writing at the time. And so Lewis read The Allegory of Love, which was his big technical scholarly book, and then he was writing um, his first science fiction book, uh, out of the Silent Planet. Tolkien was writing The Hobbit, and so he would read installments of that. And um, they, would, they would encourage one another to write and almost dare each other to publish. And that was the incentive to go on. Now, once The Hobbit was in print, the publisher wanted a sequel. It, it took off, and a nice little children's book, let's get a sequel. So he started the sequel and didn't have a name, and then World War II started. And he'd write a little bit, and he'd stop, and he didn't know where the thing was going. He didn't know, you know, he didn't have the plot figured out. He didn't know how it was going to end. He struggled with it. So he sort of, have you ever been writing, and you, you, you hit a dead end or a, a stall spot, and you just put it on the shelf and walk away from it? That's what he did. And Lewis kept pushing him back. He'd get that thing down and start working on it. And so he was an encourager. He was a goad in his side um, until he finally finished it. And um, there wasn't anything like it. Uh, if you went to the bookstore, the, uh, there was no section for fantasy. There was no section for what it was called and uh, it didn't have a place in the library. And the publisher thought, well, golly, he's put all this work in. Maybe we have a bit of an obligation for this little idiosyncratic book. We'll publish part of it and see what happens. And we'll just have a short run. That means you just publish a few copies of it. As, um, you know, what we do to support scholars and we won't pay him anything instead of paying him normally you get an uh, might get a little advance and then they they'll give you a 10 percent royalty so whatever they sell you get 10 percent of that and they said we'll do something clever we'll promise him 50 percent of the profits instead and we won't give him an advance well, it was the best-selling novel of the 20th century, and still is. He made an absolute fortune because the publisher didn't realize what a gold mine that he had. 
And one of the things, uh, Lewis actually read The Hobbit, um, I'm not sure it was a total five years, but close to five years before it was ever published. Their friendship was that close. That's interesting to note. Uh, one other thing, and I'm essentially moderating if you guys haven't figured out, and welcome to those of you who are just coming in. We just got an overview, essentially, of Lewis and Tolkien as individuals. One of the things that you're kind of notice, even though Tolkien did get quite a bit of money, that was later in life, um, it's not too common for writers to be able to live on the proceeds of their of their writings, unfortunately. But if you have a passion for what you write, you need to continue with that. And it's an added bonus if you are able to get some income out of that. Make sure you have a day job. Yeah, 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 definitely. Keep that day job. I trust you found these remarks helpful. As mentioned at the start, all this came from something that happened just before the annual Inklings Fellowship Weekend Retreat that is held at Montreat College. It was a creative writing festival for high school students at Montreat College held just before that retreat. That event is led by Dr. Kimberly Angle, Associate Professor of English at Montreat. This final segment is the end of the discussion I had with Drs. Don King and Hal Poe. Again, I'm William O'Flaherty. Hal mentioned the Screwtape Letters. Last year, I had published an enhanced study guide of the Screwtape Letters, and this is going to be really hard to remember, so you might... No, this won't be hard to remember. Uh, <laughs> since the uh, letters are written to demons, uh, a demon, or by a demon, uh, it's simply called C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell. EssentialCSLewis.com is the main website, and then I have a podcast that's based off of that. Um, I just started a, a, an occasional series called Why Read Lewis? So that's something that you can uh, consider. And um, that's most of what I've really written. My main job is uh, as actually a family counselor. So I don't do this stuff full-time teaching like these guys. But how to tell us a little bit about uh, I, I, uh, your presence or books. Um, in terms of the, the web, um, Don and I, for 16 years, um, have run a little organization called the Inklings Fellowship. We put on a, a retreat here at Montreat. Um, First weekend of April uh, every year, but it's focused around uh, Lewis Tolkien and their literary friends. We'll explore a different theme each year. We also do a triennial conference in Oxford, a week in Oxford um, in July every three years, and then an academic conference for professors um, every year. My writing um, as the Colson Professor of Faith and Culture, I'm interested in how the gospel intersects um, culture and how the gospel addresses the deep issues of culture. So I write on science and religion. I write on politics and art. Um, I write on literature and films. For 10 years, I was the president of the Edgar Allan Poe Museum in Richmond and, and started and, and ran for 10 years the, the Poe Writers Conference um, and have done several books on Poe and his spiritual journey, um, as well as uh, as Lewis and um, and the Inklings. Uh, so those. And, are the and you are a, you're a direct descendant of Poe, right? I'm. I'm. Uh, my great great grandfather was Poe's cousin. There. Uh, my writing uh, has focused on uh, C.S. Lewis and the two women who perhaps had the most influence on his life. So I've written three books on Lewis, three books on Joy Davidson and the woman he married. 
and three books on Ruth Pitter, a poet who influenced Lewis um, and his never-ending quest to be known as a poet. Thank you all so much for being here. That was so informative. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you, my listener, for your interest in All About Jack, a podcast feature of EssentialCSLewis.com. I'm William O'Flaherty, and All About Jack is also part of the Theology Mix Podcast Network. Be sure to check the show notes for any links mentioned during the program. The show notes can be found either at EssentialCSLewis.com or AllAboutJack.Podbean.com. The Podbean location is where the podcast is most easily found and navigated. Again, that's AllAboutJack.Podbean.com. Podbean is spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N. The other location, EssentialCSLewis.com, highlights the most recent show on the main page and also has space dedicated to listing past shows and the notes for them. Additionally, you can find a variety of other material on Lewis at EssentialCSLewis.com, including a popular series that explores quotations attributed to him that may not be from him. When you visit my site, be sure to listen to other interviews and special podcasts on a variety of topics, mostly directly related to Lewis. And in case you didn't know, during the week I occasionally post previously released podcasts on my iTunes feed, that you can also find at the Podbean address. If you don't know how to get to the show on iTunes, then be sure to check the show notes for a direct link to that. Again, those notes can be found either at EssentialCSLewis.com or AllAboutJack.Podbean.com. If you do visit me on iTunes, please consider rating my podcast as it can help others find it there. Finally, in case you haven't heard, I have a book called C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell, a companion and study guide to the Screwtape Letters. It is available online at Amazon. Paperback is $14.99. Buying the book is a great way to help support my podcast. You can learn more about my book by visiting ScrewtapeCompanion.com. There you can get an immediate download of a free 20-page PDF sample of the book. Again, that's ScrewtapeCompanion.com. Thanks again for listening to All About Jack.